Envoy 37, calling Omni Actual. Your Majesty. Envoy 26 is gonna need your help. So, can I open my eyes now? I never said you had to close them. <laughs> I just said I had a surprise. <laughs> so can I? Yes, you can open them. Darlene! What are you? Why are you? Get her out of here! Who is responsible for this? That would be you. Are you talking about that? I told you! Get her out of there! They can't. They've been ordered to do this. By whom? By you. She broke your law, and now she's facing your punishment. You could pull her out. But that would start a feeding frenzy that would definitely kill poor Darlene. I guess your only hope is to leave her there until morning. So, Darlene be okay in morning? <laughs> Are you kidding? There won't even be enough left to bury.
don't have to keep apologizing. I'm fine. Yes, no thanks to me. How did your king save you when he is back in Omnia? Wrong question, boss. I don't know how the king does his work, but I know he was there. Kate, your radio. Is this how you summon him? I don't summon him. He doesn't... And can you direct his powers towards your enemies uh, like a weapon? I don't direct anything. He's in charge. And, and above all, how did you... Did you know he would save you? I didn't. And someday he may not. And that would be okay too. There are worse things than dying. Like what? Like living. Whether it's in a hole in the ground or in a mansion. Even one day without the king in my life. I would like to talk to your king, but I would not know what to say to him. I can help you with that. Man, holly glory. Ooh, I got a nice little echo, little, little ambiance, majestic sounding. Okay, y'all. Who saw the fish guts betrayal? Y'all saw, okay, y'all better than me. I did not see fish guts, like, betraying Darlene like that. I was like, oh, come on, fish guts. Don't do her like that, fish guts. That's, that was crazy to me. That was crazy. How y'all doing? Oh, I know y'all a little sleepy. Y'all was balling out there. I know my joints are a little stiff. Hallelujah. But how are y'all doing? One more time. Make some noise. How you doing? There we go. Can I get a holly glory on three? One, two, three. Can I get a holly glory on two? One, two. Can I get a holly glory on one? Look, y'all ready. See, I didn't even say one yet. Y'all already ready. One. Hallelujah, glory, hallelujah, glory. All right, as we get ready to get into the word of God, I want you to go to Daniel chapter 6, if you have your Bible. Daniel chapter 6. And while you all are going to Daniel chapter 6, I just want to do a quick review. Can you believe that this is our second to last night together? That's crazy, huh? Y'all been having a good time? I mean, it looks like it. I saw y'all slipping and sliding and all that good stuff earlier today. It was awesome. It's been so much fun. But we have covered a lot in the scriptures. We have covered a lot in, a script, in the scriptures as we have been looking at that question of what does a resilient Christ follower look like in a world that is hostile to them in their faith? Now, I love that question because it's not about saying the world is different. It's not about saying the world is just different. No, the world is hostile towards our faith, meaning the world does not want us to believe in Jesus. The world does not want us to live our lives surrendered to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And it's awesome because we've been able to see that this is not the first time in the history of the world that this world has been hostile to people of faith. So we've been looking at Daniel and his boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the first night we talked about and we saw that Daniel and his boys, they had to resolve. You remember that? They had to resolve. Before they got into the, 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 the pressure situation, they had to resolve. They resolved no matter what, we are going to follow our king. That was night one. They were rooted in the firm foundation of God's goodness. God is good all the time. Amen? Amen. And all the time, God is good, right? And you remember I had God's goodness. I'm going to bring God's goodness out tomorrow night just so as a reminder for those of us that need to be hit with it a little bit. Because he is good. All, some of y'all like, hit me with it. Hey. <laughs> so I'll bring, that out, I'll bring that out tomorrow night. But we learn that God is good. And because he's good, we can trust in his sovereignty. You all remember what it means for God to be sovereign? What, what's, yell it out. What do you think? Oh, he's the boss. He's the boss. And so often the world, and maybe even our feelings, and maybe even our experiences of people and what we've heard about God, so often it seems like he is a boss that could care less about us. Like he's a boss that's just sitting in heaven waiting to condemn us to hell, waiting for us to make a mistake, waiting for us to fail. But we're learning that that is not our sovereign God. Our sovereign God is a God who is the boss, who is in control, but the foundation of his character is his goodness. He is good, he is good, he is good, he is good. That's the first night. And we also learn that we have to be rooted. To be resilient, we have to be rooted. To be resilient, we have to be rooted in his goodness and in his word. Night two, we saw that the people around us matter. We saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood together going into the fiery furnace. And I feel like we, we, we kind of have moments where what if a few of them were a little scared? What if Shadrach was scared and Meshach was the one that's like the bold one? And he's like, we're not doing it. And Shadrach's like, he could have said that a little nicer. I mean, I'm still not going to do it, but he could have been nice about it. You know, like they were together. And we saw that to be resilient in our faith in a world that is hostile to our faith, Who we hang with matters. Who we surround ourselves with matters. We learn to expect hard times. We learn to expect in order to be resilient in your faith in a world that is hostile to your faith. We learn we have to expect to go through hard times. I wish I wish I could stand up here and tell you that just because we say yes to Jesus, that means it's smooth roads from here on out. The, your destiny is going to be so clear. Your purpose is going to be so clear. No one will be mad at you. No one will be sad at you. No one will be frustrated. Like, you won't go through anything. But that's just not the truth. Because Jesus is a suffering Savior. Oh, he went through all hard things on the cross. He endured so many hard things. He endured tough things. And if they did it to Jesus, we need to understand that if we stand for him, 
we might have to go through some hard times too. But the dope thing about it is this. We are not alone. We are not alone whenever we go through something hard. You can expect it, but we are not alone. And I love it because we learn to be resilient in our faith in a world that is hostile towards our faith. We learn that we have to focus on the why, or not focus on the why, but we have to get to know the who. And we talked about the idea of how many of you, you want to know why something happens, huh? You want to know why? We want the answer why. Why, 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 why? When in the midst of the storm, the blessing is that we have an opportunity to get to know the who. The who. The who is with us in this storm. Who is going to get me through this storm? Who is faithful in this season of my life? Who's got my back when it feels like nobody does? Who is with me in the fiery furnace? And we saw that God is there. So when you and I go through hard times, it's important for us not to get so stuck on why this is so hard, but to know and understand that this is an opportunity for us to get to know the who. And then we can trust God no matter what. Look at the person next to you real quick and just tell them this. Tell them, trust God no matter what. Now look at the person on the other side. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. Nice and quiet. Nice and quiet. Nice and quiet. Real quick. Nice and quiet. Now look at them quietly. There you go. Now we're just going to let it get nice and awkward. Come on. Ooh, awkward, awkward silence, awkward eye contact. We are killing it right now. And now tell them, trust in God no matter what. Say it one more time. Trust in God no matter what. Say it again. Trust in God no matter what. Okay, okay, okay. You said it. You said it. Then we had last night. Mm. And here's the thing, fam. This, this is the truth of our faith. The truth of our faith is that the more we get to see God through his word, the more we realize how much we need him. The more we get to see God in his word, the more we actually see that there is this thing inside of us that is hostile towards God. I love the book of Romans because the book of Romans, Paul writes, he says, why do I why do, I do what I know I don't want to do? Why do I struggle and I, I, I do what I know I shouldn't be doing, but yet and still I still find myself doing what I know I shouldn't be doing? Has anybody ever been there? See, we think that the Bible's not real. We think that the Bible's not relevant. We think that it's this ancient artifact that finds no place in my life. But my goodness, Paul wrote that in the book of Romans, and it's as true today as it was then. We find ourselves in these positions, in these situations where it's just like, why am I doing this again? I said I wouldn't do this anymore at winter camp. 
My pastor just prayed for me not to do this again, but I'm doing it. I find myself in this place again. Why, 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 why? And it sets us up so perfectly because we just talked about not getting so caught up in why that we miss who? Oh, hey. That we miss the who. And we see this through this season of, 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 of Daniel's life, and we saw this in King Nebuchadnezzar and how he would have these encounters with God. And then what would happen? He would, he would turn around and pride would get a hold of him, and he would do the thing that made him feel good. He would do the thing that made him feel big. That's the thing that he would do, and it didn't matter what God was doing. It didn't matter his previous encounter with God. He just wanted to fulfill his flesh and do what he wanted to do. And remember last night, we said we want to get our Daniel on, but sometimes we find ourselves getting our Nebuchadnezzar on. And it's the sin nature inside of us. And can I say, I, just, I wish I could look all y'all in the face and say, I'm so proud of you. Oh, babies, I'm just so proud of you. I just want to pinch your little cheeks and be like, ooh, boo-boo, tutu. No, that's baby talk. That's baby talk. You guys are young men and women. <laughs> baby talk. No baby talk. But I just want to say how, how proud I am of you, family. Why? Because you're honest. Some of you took so many major steps in your faith by just confessing last night things that you struggle with. And I do not stand here and look at you and say that that is an easy thing to do to confess some of your hardest stuff to your peers. And you did it. Some of you did it. And even if you didn't do it, I just want to say God is with you. He's for you. He loves you. Proud of you for acknowledging that I got this sin nature in me and it is hostile towards God. And it's always going to try to rear its ugly head to bring separation between us and God because that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God and, and we, we realize that in order to be resilient in our faith in a hostile environment, in a hostile world, we have to know that we all sin and sin separates us from God. And we have to understand that if it wasn't for God, we would be dead in our sins. And one of, the fav one of my favorite sayings about sin is it takes you further than you want to go, costs you more than you want to pay, and keeps you longer than you want to stay. That's what sin does to us. That's what sin does to us. And so now in the book of Daniel, we find ourselves in another place where Daniel is resilient, y'all. Daniel is outlasting all of these kings. Kings are coming, kings are going, and God is just so faithful. He keeps giving Daniel favor, and every king, Daniel just keeps moving up. Daniel just keeps moving up, and all Daniel has done is been faithful to his God. 
And as Daniel has been faithful, and he hasn't been faithful because he hopes God will favor him and make him more rich and make Daniel uh, like, like more powerful. God, like Daniel hasn't been faithful to God because of the rewards that he may get from God. He's been faithful to God because God is worth our faithfulness. Like, if there's something that we get from Daniel, is we get this big picture of a big, faithful God. We get this big, you, Nebuchadnezzar painted a, or, or built a 90-foot statue of himself. What we get in the book of Daniel is a 90-foot statue of how good our God is. We get a 90-foot visual through his life, how faithful God is, how loving God is. Not, and you also see how he is there in the midst of hard times. Oh, we get a visual of a God who is worthy of our faith, of a God who is worthy of us saying, I surrender all. This is what we get in the book of Daniel. And Daniel is faithful. How faithful is he? Daniel is faithful. How faithful is he? Daniel is faithful. You say, how faithful is he? Daniel is faithful. Daniel is faithful. I said, Daniel, so faithful. Daniel is so faithful. Okay, Daniel is this faithful. Daniel three times a day. The morning, midday, evening. He goes into his house and he has a room and he has a window that opens up to Jerusalem, his hometown, where he's from. Remember, he's in exile. So where he is at right now is not his home. He belongs in Jerusalem with the people of God. Three times a day, three times a day, he goes at the same time every day and prays to God opens the window to his home and prays to God every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Didn't miss a beat, didn't skip a beat, didn't skip a day, didn't skip an hour, didn't skip a moment. He was so faithful to following God in this way that his enemies pulled a fish guts on him. Oh, yes, they did. They pulled a fish guts on him. They got the king, and King Darius is the king who's the man now, and King Darius comes in, and, and, and he's, he's the king, and, and all of the little trolls around King Darius come, and they say, hey, King Darius, you're awesome, and you should be the only one that every single person in this kingdom should worship. It should be you and you alone. No one else. No one else deserves the worship. No one is as handsome as you, King Darius. No one can sing like you, King Darius. No one can groove like you, King Darius. Now, I'm, I'm adding a few things because the story is fun for me. But King Darius, and they came around King Darius. And they convinced him to put a law in place where if you worshipped for the next 30 days, if you worshipped anybody else besides King Darius, you get thrown into the lion's den. The lion's den. And King Darius, you know the kings, remember we said the kings had some pride. So King Darius is feeling himself. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, I am handsome. <laughs> I can sing. <laughs> 
and I can dance too. You right. Okay, put the law in place. Tell everybody, right? This is what's happening. So the law goes into place. What does Daniel do? He's praying. He does what he's been doing time and time again. He doesn't change his routine because the law changed. He doesn't change who he is faithful to because the laws around him changed. And the people that helped King Darius come up with this law, they knew Daniel would not compromise. So that's why they did it. And just like we saw Darlene get captured, Daniel, they come and they get Daniel and they throw him into the lion's den. And let me, let me show you um, Daniel 6.10. This is what Daniel does when he hears about this decree, when he hears about this new law. Daniel 6.10, he says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went up as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king, spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then, they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Daniel disrespects you, king. He doesn't care about you, king. Then the men, as a group, then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And this is, if you If you highlight or underline in your Bible, I want you to underline this verse, verse 16. This is what happened. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And I want you to underline this last part because this just just popped when I was reading this today. This just popped, and it blew my mind. King Darius says this to Daniel, may your God. Whom you serve continually rescue you. May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And immediately, right here in this moment, from a king that, could, that, that could, cares more about his decree than he cares about Daniel, he says, may your God who you serve, may he continue to rescue you. He's rescued you time and time again. He saved you here. He saved you here. He saved you here. May he continue to rescue you time and time again. And we know that Daniel is placed in the lion's den. And 
the Lord's angels are there, shuts up the lion's mouth, and Daniel um, survives the lion's den, and maybe it was a puppet show with the lions, or, or maybe they're singing, I'm away, from the day we arrived on the planet. I don't know, but I just want to insert a little Disney sometimes. You know, a little Asanta San, a squash banana. It doesn't matter. It was in the past. You know, little Lion King. Can you feel the love tonight? Little Lion King. I don't know. I know. I can't wait to be king. Hallelujah. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den and he's saved. And, and this is what the king says. The king says this, after rushing to the lion's den and seeing that Daniel is saved, he says, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. God comes through and rescues again and again. Again and again. He comes through and he rescues. But here's the truth. We ain't never been in no lion's den. I, I, I can almost 99.9% just say that none of us will probably ever be thrown into a fiery furnace for our faith. But what stood out to me is, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. So to understand the weight and the gravity of a rescue, you have to understand what was lost. So go with me now, just on a little quick journey. So we're going to go from a garden to a garden. We're going to go from a garden to a garden. We're going to go to the first garden where the crime happened. So go with me really quickly to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. In my Bible, there's a heading that so conveniently says the fall. The fall. So we're going back to the scene of the crime, y'all. We're going back to where everything was lost. We're going back to where the rescue mission began. And it starts in Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now remember, the first night, what did we say the enemy will always try to attack? God's goodness, the goodness of God. The enemy will always try to make us think that God is not good. The enemy will try to always make us think that God is holding out on us, that what we desire and what we want is better than what God has and has created for us. The enemy will always try to tell you God isn't good because he isn't giving you the good things that you want in your life. He isn't giving you your feelings. He isn't giving you all that stuff 
That's why God isn't good. He started it just that way in the beginning right here. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows, and here it goes, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture, Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord this is what you and I are created for we are created to be in relationship with God we are created to walk in the cool of the day with our God we are created to have relationship with him Oh, I love it. They knew God's sound. They knew what it, they didn't even see him yet, but they knew, oh, he's coming. He's coming for our, for our daily walk. He's coming to walk and talk with us. But this time something changed. This time something was different. So they hid. And we talked about that last night, about the sin and, and hiding and how, how we want to hide our sin and we want to hide that which separates us from God when God can come in and just be like, hey, I got you. I'm here. I'm here. Let's just go for a walk. Let's just go for a walk and talk about it. Let's just go for a walk and talk about it. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is what God says. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Does that sound like a God that's like, you're going to hell? Does that sound like a God who's like, you failed yet again, stupid? Does that sound like a God that, that's not God. God is not talking to you and saying, you're an idiot. You keep making the same mistake over and over again. Get out of my face. God is not talking to you, young person, and saying, because you keep struggling with the same thing, you cannot be in my prayer. He's not telling you that. He's saying, where are you? Meaning, do you understand what just happened? Do you realize that the sin that you just partook in, it's, it, it can separate you from me. But if you don't hide and if you don't run, we can be in relationship. And I love this because this is, this is goof. There's some just some funny, goofy stuff in the Bible, too, that just makes me giggle because it's so real. Adam said, he, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? This is what God said to Adam. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12, the man said, oh, this is so, he's so crazy. Adam, Adam is a nut. He said this. He said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Come on. 
We all, that's, that's our great, 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 Like, that's our great, 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 great ancestors right there. And, like, like that, that, that's, that's, that's our guy. That's Adam. And, and a lot of us, a lot of Adam is in us, right? You're like, mm, it was them. You could be caught red-handed. It's like, it wasn't me. It wasn't, mm, it wasn't me. Why is the chocolate on your mouth? Mm, because they threw it at my face. Right? It's real. They threw it at your face and you chewed it and ate it. That's where we lost it. That's where we lost it right there, fam. That's where we lost the relationship. That's where we lost the closeness. That's where we lost what we were created to be, and that's to walk in relationship with our creator, with the one true God. You want to know why you are created the way you are created? You have to put yourself in the hands of the Savior, in the hands of the Father. So that's the first garden. And in the first garden, that's where we lost everything. Now remember, King Darius said, may your God continue to save you. May your God continue to save you. Now we're going to go to the next garden. The next garden is found in Matthew 26, verse 36. Let's go to the next garden. Because we lost it. We lost it in, in the Garden of Eden. Now let's, let's zoom in on the Garden of Gethsemane, where our Savior gets it back. Where our Savior gets it back. Where our Savior does what? He gets it back. Matthew 26, starting at verse 36. Check this out. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face. And, and I, I just want to pause because this is Jesus talking. I just want you, because sometimes we, we, we put this superhero like cloak on Jesus, like he has, like he, he just shows up and he's like, dun, da, 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 and he doesn't hurt and he doesn't go through hard things. No, he said right here that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of me wanting to die. I am so filled with sorrow that I, I feel like I can die. And he says, stay here, keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
Two times Jesus prayed, hey, if there's something else that can happen to save a room full of people that are at Hume SoCal, if there's something else that could happen, will you please make that way available? This is what Jesus prayed. But he said, not my will, but your will. Remember we prayed that? Your will, your way, your time. This is what Jesus prayed. Not my will, but your will. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinner. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The gospel, the good news, is getting back what we lost in this garden. And seeing how Jesus had to go through this garden to get it. Oh, you see, before he got to that garden, his beard was ripped out of his face. Before he got to that garden, he was whipped and beaten to the point where he was unrecognizable. And this is an innocent person. This is the gospel. This is the good news. But can I show it to you? I want to I show it to you because I, I think I can show it to you better than I can tell it to you. So I just want to show it to you. And I want to show you two iterations of the gospel. The first one is one that we've heard growing up. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this. And, 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 and this is the gospel. In the beginning, God. God. He created everything. Everything that there was, he created. And he created man in his image. He created man and woman in his image. And we were destined to have a face-to-face -face relationship. God and man. A face-to-face -face relationship with the creator. But here's what God knew. God knew. That in order for us to choose love, like in order for us to truly choose, we have to have options. God didn't make us into robots. He didn't make us into robots and say, you must obey me and do all that I want you. No, he didn't do that. He gave us options. He gave us options. And what did we cho choose? We choose what we wanted. And so we ate of the, of the fruit that we weren't supposed to eat of, and, and sin comes in, and sin separates us from God. So we chose our own way. But then, because God is who God is, sin separates us from God. And God is holy. God is set apart. He can't look at sin. So because of our sin, God turns his back on us. Oh, but we said God is good. God is good. So what God does is in his goodness, he sends his son Jesus to put on flesh and to sit in this seat. 
And all you and I have to do is say yes to Jesus as Jesus sits in this seat and Jesus teaches us a new way and, and, and Jesus is the son of God and he takes God's wrath upon him. And when you and I say yes to Jesus, we can now see God again. And when God sees that we have said yes and received Jesus, all of a sudden, face-to-face relationship restored. Amen? The gospel. But what if it's a little different than what we've been told? What if in the beginning God, he created Man, and we were destined to be in a face-to-face relationship with the Father. We were destined to be in a relationship with the Father, but the Father knew that in order for us to really choose him, we, he couldn't scare us into a relationship with him. We, he, we had to have a choice. We had to have a choice. And what did we do? We chose to go away from him. And in going away from him, and us sinning, that sin comes in, and what does sin do? It separates us from God. And so because God is holy, because God is big, because God cannot look upon sin, what happens is he turns around and pursues us. Oh, his back is not turned away from us. He turns around and he pursues us. And in the Old Testament, he sets his people free. He, he, he puts them in captivity maybe so that if you're in captivity, you will realize that you need me, that I've created you for me and I'm going to come and I'm going to set my people free. I'm going to send Moses and Moses will, will give you freedom. I'll set you free if you just know that I am your God. And we said no. And he said Okay, you're going to say, no, I am going to come after you again. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you judges. I'm going to send you people that will, get, that will tell you my heart, that will tell you how I feel about you. I'll tell them. I'll give them my word. They'll tell you my word. And we said, uh, no. And then this God, he says, okay, you don't like the judges. I'll send you kings after my own heart. I'll send you kings, and maybe they'll rule in ways that will point you to me, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So I'll send you the kings that you've desired and wanted, and maybe then you'll realize how much I love you. Maybe then you'll realize how much I go after you. And we said, no. And he said, okay. I'll send my prophets. I'll send my prophets. And they'll give you the word straight from my heart on your destiny, on what I think about you. They will tell you all about me. And what do we say? We say, no. 
And God says, okay. I'll send you my son. And my son will sit in the seat for you. My son will take upon himself the punishment that is required because of sin. And what my son will do is my son will teach you a new way. A way that is rooted in love. A way that says you don't have to jump through the hoops to be eligible for this grace. Oh, he sits in the seat of suffering for you and I. He sits in the seat of suffering for you and I to teach us that there is a God who sees you, who knows you, who loves you, and who does not turn his back on you, but he pursues you, and he pursues you, and he pursues you, and he pursues you, and he sends his son as the ultimate gesture of that pursuit. And his son dies on the cross, takes all of our sins upon himself, innocent, innocent, but willing and ready to do what needed to be done in order for you and I to regain what we lost in the first garden. He dies on the cross, rises again, and then in that Our hearts are turned back to the Father. That's the gospel. Not a God who turns his back on you. Not a God who says, you failed me enough. Get out of my presence. Not that God. A God who time and time again, you, some of you are going to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Some of you are going to rededicate your hearts to Jesus. But here's the reality. Even if you turn your back on him again, he is going to continue to pursue you because he loves you. He sees you. He knows you. And he sees in you what you can't see in yourself. And that is a hallelujah worth giving to the king. King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we receive Jesus. And here's what's bananas. It doesn't stop there. Oh, now we are back in relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then what happens is this. He says, you have received my son. You have received my son. My, my son is now gone. He is, in, he is in heaven at the right hand with me. But now I will give you my spirit. I will place my spirit inside of you. And my spirit will be inside of you. And my spirit will be the change agent that will change you into who I have created and called you to be. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My question is, who tonight wants to say yes to a God who pursues you every step of the way? Because, because 
to be resilient in a world that is hostile. We have to know and realize that. When we surrender our God, that we are to our God, we are only saved by his grace alone. This is the gospel. And I'm going to invite you, bow your heads, close your eyes. And I just got a simple thing for you. If you say yes, Hume SoCal, this week I want to say yes to Jesus. And with every head down, eyes closed, just because I just want us to just be able to um, just to be confident and comfortable in this moment. If you say, I want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I want to invite you to do something courageous and radical right now with me. And I just want you right where you are. I just want to invite you to stand to your feet. If that's you and you say yes, don't worry about the person around you. Don't worry about what somebody may say or think. If that's you and you say, I want to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite you, stand up right where you are. Boom. Got you. Got you. Got you. Got you. Hey. Hallelujah. 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 Hey. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I'm just going to pray a prayer over you all. Hey, God. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. And, 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 and as a family, I'm going to invite all of us, just, just pray this prayer. And I'm going I'm to ask that you just repeat this after me as a declaration of our faith in Jesus. Just say this, say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross so that my sins can be forgiven. Thank you for rising again so I can be in relationship with you. I receive your sacrifice. And I acknowledge that you are the son of God. That you died for me. And I say thank you. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. And I ask, Lord, that you would have your way. Lord, thank you for every young person that just said that prayer. Thank you for who you've created and called them to be. And God, we just say thank you for this yes right now. This yes right now. We just say thank you for every young person that has courageously stood and said yes to you. Will you be the Lord of their life, Lord? Will you be the Lord of their life right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ? And everybody that's standing, do me a favor, look up at me real quick. Here's what's dope. The Bible says that when one person says yes to Jesus, angels lose their mind 
in celebration. The Bible says that there are angelic hosts all around us that are just giving God praise. Just, woo! They did it! It worked! The Kanjabi Can-Can worked! The late night camp sessions worked! The worship songs worked! The scriptures worked! The Holy Spirit is working! They made the greatest decision ever in their life to say yes to their Savior. You stay standing because I believe there's a few people that want to join you in just a few moments. Now, if you're sitting and you say, I've said yes to Jesus, but in this moment, I, I, I just want to rededicate my life to him because maybe you've been on a Nebuchadnezzar walk where it's like I have these big moments but I still want to do my thing. I have these big moments but I still want to do my thing. I have these big moments but I still want to do my thing. If you say I want to surrender my thing for the king's thing. If that's you will you join us in standing up right now? Hallelujah. Hey. Hey, come on, come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I, I know some of us, you just won't stand up, and that's okay, and I just want you to know, you don't have to stand up in order to say yes to Jesus or rededicate your life to Jesus. I just like to challenge us to, to step out of our comfort zone, and there's no safer place <laughs> to say yes to Jesus than surrounded by a bunch of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's that are going to be like, we got this together. So now I want to pray for you all. Let's do this together. We just lift your hands up to heaven. And I just want to invite you to have your palms up. And all this is, is it's just we are positioning our bodies in a place of surrender. Where we say we surrender. And then it's in a position to also receive. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for these students that have just stood up and said we want to rededicate our hearts and our lives to you, Lord. And Lord, with our hands open and up to you as a family, we just surrender, God. Oh, I pray this prayer for myself too, King. We surrender our will, our way, and our time to you, Lord. We give our lives to you. And we just say thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord. And we just say thank you for meeting us right here where we are and loving us so well. Will you forgive us of our sins, King? Will you forgive us of the mistakes that we've made, whether knowingly or unknowingly? We ask for your forgiveness, and we receive it now. We receive your grace we receive your mercy. We receive your love. We receive your resilience.
us not be ashamed of this choice that we made today, King. But let us shout it from the mountaintops. Let, it sh let us shout it from the bus seats on the way home. Let us shout it on, uh, on our first day of school, on our school campus, or online, wherever we may find ourselves. Let us shout it, Lord, that you are a God that continuously rescues his people. We thank you for it. We believe it, and we receive it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Can we give God some praise, y'all? Give God some praise. And hey, can we make some noise for everybody that said yes to Jesus tonight? Come on! Our God is good, and our God is faithful. Can we worship together? Let's worship him together. Can I invite you? Come down. Oh, our God has done some great things. Come on down. Let's lift our hands in worship to the King of Kings.